What's going on, Life Church? How you doing this morning? Good? Yeah. It's good to see you. My name is Pastor Micah. If you're new here, thanks for joining us. Uh, God's doing some great things uh, at Life Church. We've got an Easter service that's uh, getting planned right now. That's going to be awesome. It's just gonna, it's talking about the victory that have in Jesus, we have in Jesus, and uh, you know the devil's not going to tread on us. He's not. Uh, he doesn't have the authority to do it. When we're in Christ Jesus, we can now fly like eagles, and and we can stomp on his head. And that's what God is calling us to do as as powerful sons and daughters in the kingdom of heaven. So that's that's what we're about at Life Church is empowering people through the through the Holy Spirit to go out. And, and uh, take back what the enemy has stolen. Amen? Amen? All right. So, hey, we are in week two of our Kingdom Builder series. So last week we had uh, missionary Dick Brogdon in, and he did a powerful uh, word on what is going on around the world. But actually, before, I, I almost forgot, um, on the Easter front, before, before I move on, we got these invite cards out in the lobby and uh, they're, they're great ways to just kind of like leave at, you know, leave at uh, your friend's house, leave at work, uh, go to a, a liberal establishment like Starbucks and put a bunch of these out there. They'll love it. <laughs> hey, they need Jesus too, right? Okay, we need to take Jesus everywhere we can, okay? Uh, but you can put these on, on the cards. There's a QR code. We can actually uh, just, you know, you, people can scan it and it'll take you right to our website to tell people when our uh, services are. But um, Easter's a great time to invite friends and family. So, so do that and just say, hey, come and hear about this Jesus that has set us free. John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we're about freedom here at Life Church. And so that's what we, uh, that's what God's called us to do. Um, so, uh, on, on that note, we are in week two of Kingdom Builders. Last week, we had Dick Brogdon here talking about what God's doing in the Middle East and how we are supporting him through our Kingdom Builders uh, initiatives. And uh, today, before we uh, jump next week, we're back into 2 Samuel. And, uh, but today, we're going to hit on what it means to actually be uh, prophetic missionaries, people who follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. What will that look like if you want to jump all in and say, all right, Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. What is that going to mean for you? What is that going to mean for your family? And uh, it's not necessarily the easiest call. But as we dive into this message today, I want you to keep an eternal perspective. Where are you going to be in 100 years from now? If you're lucky, you're probably not going to be alive. <laughs> I don't know where that was going. If you're lucky, you're going to be dead, okay? Uh, I say words sometimes not knowing where it's going to end up, okay? So it's kind of what, it's kind of what happened there. No, we had, a, we had Bob Mann earlier in the first service. He's 96 years old. He's a World War II vet, and he was in this service. And, and we just, I kind of pointed him out and said, you know, Bob's had a 96-year life on this, on this earth. And he's still kicking. I'm not saying, you know, I didn't say, Bob, you're about ready to die. You know, it wasn't, wasn't that. But, but, you know, in a few years, he's going to go home and be with the Lord. And, uh, and what will you look back? What will you say about your time on this earth when you pass into this life into the next? Hopefully, you know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, and you pass from this life into eternal life, if you don't know the Lord as your eternal Savior and you meet the judge someday, it's not going to go well for you. We don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. But that's your choice. What will you be saying about your time on this earth? I think all of us, no matter if we know the Lord or not, are going to say, man, I could have done more. I could have done something different. So let's start today doing whatever it is that we can do differently so that we can look back and say, I gave it all. I left it all on the field. You know, we're in the middle of March Madness right now. 
All right, sorry, Purdue. Where's where are the bells? Where are the <laughs> I thought of you guys the other night. I almost texted you, but I was like, no, it's not. It's not. It's too soon. Too soon. Yeah, maybe maybe in a, maybe in a week from now. I'll call you out on a Sunday morning service. I mean, it's not too soon for that, but. Uh, but, you know, like leaving it all on the court, leaving it all on the field, leaving it all, giving your best. That's what God is calling us to do here in this, in this life. And that's why we, we go through the Kingdom Builders Initiative uh, a couple times a year. Uh, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, but let me pray for us as we open up the word of the Lord today. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at Life Church. Lord, we just pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would speak to us through your word. God, would you open our eyes, open our hearts to receive what you have to say, Lord. Let, let it be your words, not mine. Let it be your truth, not mine. God, that, that impacts us today and teach us how to fully surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so if you're going to follow Jesus, Matthew chapter 8 gives us a really great little synopsis of what Jesus is going to require of you when you enter into a full surrendered life of obedience to him. There's four main points in Matthew chapter 8 that we're going to look at today. The first one is, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to follow Jesus to nowhere. Now, that may sound a little weird, but let's start with, that, with verse 18 in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, Jesus doesn't like platitudes. He's not just going to... Don't, be, don't say something flippantly like that to the Lord. If you don't really mean it, he's not, he's not going to take it uh, you know, lightly that you're just flippantly throwing these things out. He, he's the teacher, the religious leader of the law says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus knew his heart. And Jesus says this, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. Now, this religious leader, this, the teacher of the law, probably had a decently nice home, had a comfort that he could go back to every night. And Jesus is saying, do you really want to follow me? Because if you follow me, you're going to be following me into nowhere. Even the foxes have a place to live. The birds have places to live. But if you follow me, you, you might not even have that. Another one of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, that's harsh. It's like, Lord, my dad just died. And he says, we got work to do. And if you were here last week, Dick Brogdon, he, he said something that I probably won't ever forget. He said he, he, his wife and him were back in the States. You know, they've been in the Middle East for years. They're back in the States. His, their sons live here. They're doing missions. Uh, they're, doing, they're, they're pastors and doing, doing work here in the States. And they said, we're so excited to go to Houston and see, see you, son. We'll be there next week. And, you know, we've, we've missed you a lot. And his son said, Dad, that's great, but the goal is not to be together right now. And as a parent, that's kind of heartbreaking to hear. But he was like, he's right on. The goal right now is to not be together with those that you love on this earth. You work hard. You go where God has called you, even if it means you know, forsaking the responsibilities of what the world tells you you should have so that in 100 years from now, you can be together for eternity. You'll be together with those that you love for, a, for eons upon eons. You'll look back at this world and you'll say, I had 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. Why was I so concerned about being with that one person when I should have been out there telling the world about Jesus so that we could be together in eternity for thousands and thousands of years? 
I know we're all gonna, we're all gonna say that. Now, I, now, please hear me. I love being together with friends and family and, and it's, it's good. Those are good relationships God has called you. But are you willing to follow him to nowhere? Jesus basically was saying, I don't belong to this world and you shouldn't either. When he told the man to let the dead bury the dead, he said, you're worrying about things that really have no eternal value at this point. Follow me. The call to follow Jesus is a call away from important responsibilities, indefinite and certain activities towards unfriendly and uncertain places. Today, what I want to do is highlight a couple missionary stories to you of people that were willing to follow Jesus into some of the most uncertain and unfriendly environments. And hopefully it spurs us on to think, hey, what can we do? We're blessed in America. We have such blessings and prosperity. But don't ever let those blessings and prosperity turn into complacency. It's, not, it's good to have religious freedom. It's good to be prosperous. It's good to go out and build. Praise God we can do that. But if that turns to complacency or that becomes an idol, that's when we've, we've gone off the rails. And I would say in America right now, we are going off the rails. We think our security is in our dollar and we think our security is in our military. But the Lord very easily is starting to let us know, oh, whoa, whoa, you think that that's gonna save you? It's not gonna save you. I'm gonna invite Elijah up and he's gonna read the story of a woman named Gladys Aylward. She was a missionary in the 1930s to China. She was a poor housekeeper, an Irish housekeeper, and this is her story of how she was willing to follow Jesus to nowhere. Listen carefully to the trials and tribulations she experienced for her call to follow Jesus into some of the darkest places of the world. Gladys Ayward was a poor Irish cleaning lady who felt called to China, but she was such a poor student that she failed out of missionary training. She decided to go anyway and determined to raise the money for one-way passage to China. She became the maid in the household of Sir Francis Yospan. But the travel to and from her job at his estate wiped out nearly all her savings. In fact, she had only two and a half pennies left. She laid them in a row on top of her Bible. A sense of hopelessness came over her. Gladys was certain China was where God wanted her to live and work, and if that was where God wanted her, surely he would help her get the money she needed to get there. She placed her hands over the money and her Bible and in a loud voice prayed, here is my Bible, here is all the money I have, here is me, find some way to use me, God. Gladys worked hard for many weeks and then went down to the shipping agency with three pounds. She said, how much is a one-way ticket to China? And the man said, and to what part of China? To which she replied, any part will do. The cheapest ticket is 90 pounds. That's 30 times more than you have. Is there a cheaper way, Gladys said. There is by train through Russia but Russia is at war with China, and it is unlikely you would arrive at your destination wherever that might be. It's my life, she said. It's my risk, so it's my choice. I would like to open an account to pay for a train ticket to China. Remember, this is the 1930s. Take the three pounds. I'll be back every Friday until I've paid off the ticket. 
It took several months to save the money, but she raised it and left England. She was kicked off the train at the end of the line in Russia near the Chinese border. Bombing and fighting made crossing the border impossible, and Russian soldiers ordered Gladys to walk back the way she came. She walked all night back up the tracks, nearly freezing to death, walking through the Siberian winter, braving wolves and inclement weather. She eventually made her way to the city of Lodstock, only to be captured by a pimp. A dangerous escape led her to Japan, where she found her way to China. She traveled for weeks by train or by foot and arrived at a village where the road ended and was carried up into the mountains in a basket on the back of a mule. In her first days, she had mud thrown on her because she was considered a foreign devil. She witnessed the decapitation of a thief by the Mandarin's order and saw the head roll right to her feet. She ran home crying, overwhelmed. She was overwhelmed at the nowhere to which following Jesus had brought her. Her elderly co-worker died, so in order, to, in, in order to not starve, she opened an inn for mule caravans called the Inn of Eight Happiness. Gladys and her trusted Chinese helper shared Bible stories with all the mule caravans guides who then spread the gospel wherever they traveled. The Mandarin then asked Gladys to be his honorable foot inspector and to tour the district to ensure that, build, that binding of young girls' feet ceased. If you're not familiar with the ancient, not ancient, but historical Chinese reference to uh, foot binding for, for women, it's an interesting um, research to do. Uh, it's horrible. Gladys agreed on one condition, saying, Wherever I go on behalf of your excellency, I will speak of my God and my faith, and I will try and make others believe as I do. Shocked because no one spoke to the Mandarin in that way, much less a woman, he agreed, and Gladys proceeded to share the gospel in every village of the district as she helped wipe out the practice of foot-binding. Believers came to Jesus, and churches were formed. World War II began, and the Japanese bombed the inn. Gladys was buried alive in the rubble. After being dug out, she walked her orphan children, which was more than 100, over the mountains. It took weeks, but they all survived. Starvation, fatigue, and a blow by the head from the butt of a rifle when she stopped Japanese soldiers from raping Chinese women sent her into a coma and at the end of the forced march. In recovery, she traveled to Tibet and shared the gospel with 500 Buddhist monks. She worked in a leper colony and shared the gospel there too. She got the lepers to serve and preach the gospel in prison. Gladys started a university and led many university students to faith just before the communists took over the university. Now, the communists made the 500 university students take a test and asked them to indicate if they stood for or against the Communist Party. 200 students said they were against the communists. When questioned by the communist authorities, those 200 students said they converted to Christ through Gladys's preaching 
and now supported Jesus Christ and no one else. The furious communists called the 300 communist students, uh, student sympathizers to a secret meeting and told them to harass the 200 Christians for a month. They handed out another questionnaire, and at this time, those not supporting the communists was more than 200, so it went up. So the, the goal was to, to crush these Christians, and in fact, through the persecution, there's even more people coming to Christ. Again, the communist students were called upon. Harassment led to beatings of the Christians and breaking up of prayer meetings, but a third examination of loyalty showed that not one of the Christians wavered. Infuriated, the communist leaders assigned 10 communists to each individual Christian with orders to break them down. Christians were not allowed to talk to one another. They were mocked, and every word was recorded. After three months, a public meeting was called in the town square for all students. Communist troops marched over 200 Christian students into the town square. Each Christian had a report. The communist leader picked up the first report, a new convert, a 17-year-old girl from Peking. He looked at the young girl who had been pressured for three months while Gladys stood in the square watching. The communist said, who do you support now? And the girl spoke loudly and clearly, sir, three months ago, I thought Jesus Christ was real and I thought the Bible was true. Now, after three months of your hatred, I know Jesus Christ is real, and I know the Bible is true. The official, his face white with rage, yelled to one of the soldiers on the left. The girl was pulled to the center of the square and shoved to her knees, a sword drawn, and her head lopped off. 17 years old. Gladys stayed while each of the more than 200 Christians were similarly questioned. Not one of them betrayed Jesus, every one of them beheaded. 200 Christians followed Jesus to nowhere. As she slowly walked home, Gladys thought, if they must die, let them not be afraid of death, but let there be a meaning, O God, in their dying. Those 200 young students followed Jesus to nowhere, and their heads had nowhere to rest but the bloody town square. Following Jesus to nowhere seemingly from the world's perspective gets you nothing. But I think about it in the perspective of that 17-year-old girl who is in the presence of Jesus right now. The Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. She gets to watch now as we are talking about her testimony. Almost 100 years ago, in a little, like a little Chinese community, here we are in America talking about this testimony of a 17-year-old who stood boldly for Jesus because a woman who came from England to China followed Jesus to nowhere. If you're going to follow Jesus to nowhere, be ready for that call. The world's going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. They're going to make you seem like you're out of your mind. They're going to try to gaslight you every step of the way. But no, from an eternal perspective, where will you be 100 years from now? What will you be saying about the time you had on this earth? Followers of Jesus follow Jesus into trouble. So Matthew chapter 8, 
We pick it up at the story of verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. I love this story. Now keep in mind, his disciples were seasoned fishermen. They lived on the water. They knew how to handle rough water. But this obviously was a pretty big storm because the disciples ran to Jesus. They went and woke him up and shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. So Jesus got, led the disciples into a boat. He knew that the storm was going to come. He didn't say, oh, there's a storm coming, guys. Let's wait until the storm passes, and then we'll get in the boat and go. No, the disciples followed Jesus into trouble. Now, they didn't know what the trouble was ahead, but Jesus knew, and Jesus was sleeping. I just love this, because can you imagine Jesus is like, they, they start shouting to him, and he's like, guys, guys, really, seriously, keep it down. Like, I'm, I'm trying to sleep, okay? Like, for reals. I just fed the 5,000. I've been casting out demons all day. I, I just need to get some sleep. It's kind of like, it's like Susan and I, we have, the, we have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and we're like, just take a nap for the love, please. <laughs> Go to sleep, right? I can just see Jesus doing that to his disciples. I just want to sleep, guys. Come on, what are you doing? And he gets up and he responds. He says, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And I think Jesus, what he's saying in this moment, he says, guys, first of all, I'm the son of the living God. I told you my appointed time is not now to die. You really think this storm is gonna take me out? You really think like we're gonna die here? Like you're not thinking from the eternal perspective. And then he says, you have so little faith because you don't recognize who I am. And so he gets up and he says, he says this, he says, he rebu it says, the, he rebuked the wind and the waves and suddenly there was a great calm. <laughs> I, I just can, I can see it now. He's like, you guys have no faith. All right, wind and waves, be calm. Thank you. I'm going back to bed. All right, so... <laughs> Like, literally, like, I could just see that happening. I, it probably was something similar to that. And then the disciples look at each other, and they were amazed, and they were like, okay, uh, someone want to explain to us what the heck is going on here? Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus led them into trouble. He did not avoid the trouble. He led them into trouble, and then he overcame the trouble. He said, I am the God of this world. I, I created the winds and the waves. I know how to go through this season of trouble. A missionary, Paul Bedix, he was a missionary to China just a few years before Gladys, and he was also murdered uh, by the Communist Party. He said this, he said, the more truly a Christian is a Christian, the hotter rages the battle about him. The more truly a Christian is a Christian, the hotter rages the battle about him. In America, we've kind of gotten into the sense, church, that somehow we're supposed to be friends with everybody. Somehow the world is supposed to like us. You know, I'm very engaged in this, in this uh, culture war that we're in right now. There is a culture war. I know some people want to be like, oh, there's no culture war. Yes, there is a culture war. We have, we have schools teaching little boys they can be little girls and little girls that they can be little boys. That is totally mocking the idea that God said man and woman and that's it. That's totally mocking God's idea, the sacred identity that he's placed on people. So, <laughs> Taylor. See, I even make Taylor mad. He's one of my friends, right? You know? No, but that's, isn't that, isn't that the truth, though? We look at it and we're saying, okay, well, well, somehow we need to be friends with these people and we need to make sure that they like us because we don't want to make anybody offended. Whoa, what, what gospel are you reading? What, what's, what scripture story? Do you think they crucified Jesus because they loved him? 
I mean, think about that. Like, oh, we love you so much, Lord. Let's, let's crucify you to the tree. No, they crucified Jesus because they hated the truth that he was speaking. They shot Paul Bedix because they hated the truth he was speaking. They, they beheaded that girl in that square because they hated the truth that she was speaking. And somehow in America, we've gotten to this place where we're like, oh, we've got to unify. We've got to, we've got to bring everyone, we've got to make everyone like us. And I hate to break it to you, church, but if people like you, if the world is agreeing with you, you ain't on the side of Christ. How do you know you're on the side of Christ? How many enemies do you have? It's a good litmus test. If you can say, well, I don't know if I have too many enemies, I'll say, well, then you probably aren't truly really being a Christian because Christians, when they're Christians, that battle gets pretty hot. You know you're, you're over the target when you're taking fire. Paul Bedix goes on to say this, and I love this statement. The battle is no place for amateur Christians. You have to make up your mind. Are you willing to follow Jesus into trouble? If you are, just get ready because there's no place for amateur Christians. You want to leave it all on the field. You want to leave it all on that court. You don't want to look back and say, I left something or I had more to give. No, the pros go in and they go in to win. And they, they put everything on the lane. They practice and they prepare and they go into battle. They go into the game and they, there's no place for amateurs when you're running with the pros. So my question to you today, church, is would you consider yourself a pro or would you consider yourself an amateur? Following Jesus means you will certainly face trouble. Dave Barnes, he's a police officer here in, uh, in Noblesville. He's, he's back there. He's, he's a guy with a gun. So uh, <laughs> hey, I was going to say which one. There's a lot of guns in here right now. Oh, yeah. I forgot what church I'm at right now. Okay. <laughs> When all the people with guns stand up, the whole place stands up, right? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Okay. He, uh, he gave me some. He's a, he's a leader of a, of a shift, and they created these things called challenge coins. And I love what the back says of this challenge coin. He gives it to, the, to, to his officers that he leads. And it says, I stand ready. And they go into battle. They go into trouble. They, they, they run into the places people are running away from. Spiritually, that's what we should be as Christians. It says this, I stand ready. Not because I hate what is in front of me, but because I love what is behind me. Not because I hate what is in front of me, but because I love what is behind me. When you love like Jesus loves, you recognize how wicked this world is. It, it causes you to run into the battle because there are people that are being, that are being abused, led astray, and led right into the destruction from the lies of the wicked. If you love like Jesus, you're going to go into trouble. You're going to go into battle with full force. You will not be an amateur Christian when you love like Jesus loves because you'll know the people that are being lied to. You'll know that their destruction is imminent if you don't get in there and actually bring them the truth that will, according to John 8, 32, will set them free. Another missionary story, story that I, I read about when I was in high school in a book called Through Gates of Splendor is the story of Jim Elliott's and his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. But Jim was one of five missionaries from the States, and he's the one in the middle. Jim uh, felt called to go to South America and take the gospel to the Aka Indians, or the Warani tribe. And they would fly over this, this unreached people group. No one had ever gone in. They, they said, it's too dangerous. These, these people are, are savages. They will they kill any, anybody that comes. They're, they're very dangerous people. There's no way we don't know the language. You're never going to be able to get the gospel to the Aka people. 
And Jim said, well, we're going to try. And so they flew over this island where the Akas were at, and they would drop gifts down. They would try to create this, this idea like, hey, we're here to help you. We're here to, to try to bring peace to you. We don't, we don't, we're not here to hurt you. And seemingly, these men would grab the gifts, and they would go in, and they'd wave to them as they're flying over. And, and, and finally, they thought, okay, it's safe to land. And so the night before they landed, the men got together and they sang a hymn, we rest on thee, our shield and our defender. And the next day they traveled, they landed and traveled into the forest. And they were met by a party of Warani warriors. And they were all speared to death in that very moment, leaving behind many widows and orphans. Their bodies were later found floating down the Amazon River. In her 1996 epilogue, to through Gates of Splendor, the account of these missionary deaths, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot wrote, we know that time and time again in the history of the Christian church, the blood of martyrs has been its seed. Think about that. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. We are tempted to assume a simple question here, or a simple equation here. Five men died. Therefore, this will mean X number of Warani Christians. Perhaps so, but perhaps not. God is God. I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in, way, act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. It is the same spirit that taunted, if thou be the son of God, come down from that cross. There is unbelief, there is even rebellion in the attitude that says, God has no right to do this to these five men unless dot, 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 unless he saves this many Waranis, unless he blesses my family and my children, unless he does this. When you say, okay, God, I'll do this, but you must, because you're the God of justice, if I suffer these consequences, then you must do this. That's the same spirit that is taunting, that taunted Jesus saying, come down from the cross if you truly are the son of the living God. Elizabeth Elliot goes back and she she takes the gospel back to the Aka Indians. She, takes the, she, she does not say, I'm done with those people. She gets the women who are now widows, and they go back, and they actually make peace with the, with the Indians. And now today that tribe is a Christian tribe because of the seed of the martyrs. It's amazing. And God, God if we were to go to him and say, God, but you, best, you better do it this way. We're basically saying, well, we're God. I know better than you, God. And God's saying, no, do you trust me? Will you follow me into trouble? Will you follow me into a place that most people would never in a million years go to? I mean, it's the heart of the first, first responders, like the Daves of the world. 9-11 was a great look at the heart of the first responders. They ran into the places where the rest of the world was running from. Well, well sons and daughters of the king, the warriors that God's raising up, that's what we should be doing in this place right now. That's what we should be doing in our culture. We should be running into the places where the world does not want anything to do with. Number three, are those who follow Jesus, follow Jesus to fearlessness. I know you can be thinking, I don't know if I would have the strength to, to be questioned by a communist who then leads me into the middle of the town square and, and is gonna execute me. Would I have the strength to not just give over to fear? Well, you know the trick, the, the, the secret sauce, if you will, of being fearless in this culture is fearing God, not fearing the world. Fearing God leads, is the only way to truly lead yourself to fearlessness. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Now, fearing God is, 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 the, is the heart of a warrior because you know that, hey, ultimately, this world is not my home, and I need to make sure that I respect and revere the one who is over all, not just over this part of the world, not just over my job, not just over my family, not just over my community. I need to fear the one who is truly over all. And when you begin to look at God through that, through that lens, it wipes out the fear of the world. You become a fearless warrior because you know ultimately who your God is and who your father is. Isaiah says this, are you afraid of these idols? This is the Lord talking to his people. Do they terrify you? I can just hear the mocking tone that God is speaking. He's, he's doing it in a way where he's just getting so frustrated with his people. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, are you afraid of these idols that you have made, these statues of wood and gold? Do they terrify you? Really? That's what scares you? Is that why you lied to me and forgotten me and my words? Is that why? You've given yourself over to the fear of the stupid little thing that you think actually holds some power over your life. And in culture today, how many times do we do the same thing? We give ourselves over to the fear and the Lord's saying, that is a stupid, irrelevant thing that you're afraid of. A thousand years from now, you will look back and you'll say, what was I thinking? Why was I afraid? The Lord goes on, is it because of my long silence that you no longer fear me? When we fear the Lord, we don't have to fear anything else because we know who our God is. There's a story of a of a young man, this was just a few years ago, in Africa. In the, one of the northern countries of Africa, in the summer of 2017, a bold young believer in North Africa, only 19 years old, began to share his faith publicly on social media to friends and his family. Now, I want, think about this in our culture. Sometimes when we get out on social media and we declare truth, God's truth, you can take some heat. You can, take some, you can take some real shots. You could lose friends. You could offend somebody. God forbid, offend somebody, right? They might not like you. Oh, no. Whatever will you do, right? So, <laughs> but here's a guy, a young man living in northern Africa where the Islamic militia is a very real threat to believers. And he gets on social media and he begins to share his faith publicly to his friends and family. In a country with less than 50 known believers... He stood up fearlessly for his faith. So public was his witness that the militia followed and threatened him. Sensing that the net cl was closing in around him, this young man made a video for broadcast. This is what he said. Hello, I am a citizen of this North African country. I'm a Christian. If you are hearing these words, it means either I have been persecuted and dis disappeared or that I am dead somewhere. This is a message to my brothers and sisters to the Christian nation, and to the secret believers everywhere in the Islamic world. I died for Jesus. I died for saying the words of the gospel. I couldn't stop talking about Jesus because of what I felt and what I believe in. I'm probably with God now. It sounds weird to say, but don't let my blood go to waste. You, my brothers and sisters, you secret believers in the Islamic world, go out there, stop fearing. We never lose. When you are with God, you never lose. If you die, you win. If they persecute you, you win. If you fly to another country, you win. You are winning anyway. Why are you afraid? Doesn't that sound like the words of Jesus right there? Why are you afraid? You win. The victory is yours because of what I've done for you. 
He goes on to say, have some passion. <laughs> Boy, this is like exactly what the, yeah, I, I have to think, I'm going to go back just for a second. I didn't say this first service, but I have to think, he says, this message is to my brothers and sisters, to the Christian nation, and to the secret believers everywhere in the Islamic world. And I, I thought when I, was, when I was recounting his story and what he said, I thought he said the Christian nations. He said Christian nation. And I have to wonder in this young man's mind if he was specifically thinking about the United States where he's saying the Christian nation needs to be the Christian nation. The Christian nation of the world needs to lead and you're not doing it right now. Have some passion. Stop fearing. We never lose. Even Jesus said, the one who denies me, I will deny before my father. So you have to accept Jesus. I have been reduced in my movements in the country here. I'm being followed everywhere. Stop fearing. He is here. He is everywhere. Powerful. 17-year-old, a 17-year-old, or 19-year-old, 19-year-old. Isn't that amazing? Days after the video was taken, the teenager was abducted by Islamic militia. He was beaten for 20 days. They broke his ribs, his sternum, and his clavicle. A rib punctured his lung. They didn't kill him, but when they released him to the emergency care in the local hospital, it was with the warning that if, you ever opened, if he ever opened his mouth again about Jesus, they would kill him. Now, I don't know where this young man is today. I have a hunch he's still talking about Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, he's with Jesus now because I doubt he stopped talking. But this young man feared God. He did not fear the world. Church, is that you today? Do you fear God? Are you willing to put it all on the line because you know who your Savior is? Will you get in that boat, follow Jesus into trouble, and will you be the one saying, oh crap, we're going to die? Or are you going to be the one saying, I'm with my Lord. I know who my God is. When we fear man, we are afraid to open our mouth. But when we fear God, we are afraid of the damage done to the lost if we don't open up our mouths. When we fear man, we're afraid to go into dangerous places. But when we fear God, we are afraid of the eternal pain the unreached will suffer if we don't go. When we fear man, we are afraid to send our children. But when we fear God, we are afraid of the consequences to their own soul if we do not bless and send. And when we fear man, numerous terrors can incapacitate us and limit us. But when we fear God, nothing on earth can intimidate or shake us. Where are you, church? Finally, are you willing to follow Jesus into judgment? Followers of Jesus follow him to nowhere. They follow him into trouble. They follow Jesus to fearlessness. And last, they follow him to judgment. When you're covered by the blood of the lamb, lamb judgment is good. Because you are righteous, you're totally made whole. There's nothing in your past that can separate you from the love of this amazing God. And that's what a missionary does. A missionary goes and says, listen, there's hope. And you may be saying, this is a really hopeless message, Pastor Micah. I don't like where you're going with this. But it's all for this glorious day when we stand before the throne and the judgment of Jesus is, or God is dulled out and we're covered in the blood of, of the righteous son. Going on in this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter eight, verse 28, when Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake, finally got some, some sleep, some, you know, probably went back to bed. And then he got to the other side in the region of the Gerardians. Uh, Two men who were possessed by demons met Jesus. 
They lived in a cemetery and were so violent that no one would go through that area. Think about this. This was like the area that you don't, you knew if you go there, there are some really crazy crazies, right? That you, we don't want, we don't want to mess with. Where did Jesus take his disciples? Right through that area. And they began screaming at him and they said, why are you interfering with the son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? The demons know who God is. And they know that there is an appointed time of judgment. And they don't want that time to come. I love it when the, when the devil tries to bring up my past. He's like, well, Mike, I know what you've done. You've done this, this, and this. And I'm like, you're right. I have done that, that, and that. You're not wrong. But I've been covered by the blood. And guess what? I know what your future is. Right? You want to bring up my past? I'll bring up your future. The devil does not like that. They do not want to be tormented before the appointed time. And there's a time of judgment coming. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. And so the demons begged. Listen to this. The demons begged. I love this picture. They're begging the son of the living God. Please, hold up a second. Don't cast us out into the abyss. Now, remember, if you go to the book of Jude, you can see what happens to the demonic beings that step outside of their realm of, of authority. When, when they do things that God has said you are not to do, the book of Jude talks about demons that are being tormented right now in the lake of eternal fire before the appointed time. So these demons knew what the Son of God can do to them. They don't want to go where their buddies have gone. And they're saying, whoa, 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 we're just out here minding our own business, wrecking these two, right? Okay, Jesus, don't, just leave us alone. And, and, and they said, please, don't send us into the abyss. Send us out to the herd of pigs that are grazing on the hill. So they beg Jesus to do this. Now, this gives you an insight into how the demonic works. They're always looking for a host, a host, a host, a host. All right? And Jesus said, all right, go. I just, I love this part too. I mean, this whole passage is so cool. But Jesus says, all right, fine. I will honor your wishes. You know, I mean, isn't, that, isn't that amazing? Like the son of God just says, okay, fine, do that. But I don't, he wasn't honoring their wishes because he was being compassionate to them. He was honoring their wishes so that he would, he'd be showing us how the demonic work. When we walk in the authority of the son, the, the, the demons beg for us to leave them alone. Are you scared of demons? You shouldn't be. They're, they're afraid of you. It's kind of like, you know, when you're out in the wilderness, like, oh, there's a snake. It's more afraid of you than you are of it, right? Now, I think that's a bad, I think that's a bad now. <laughs> Some people here, I'm really afraid of snakes, okay? Pastor Micah, that's not helping, okay? But no, that's true. They are more afraid of you when you have the authority of the Son of God in your life. When the Spirit of God is in you and resting upon you, they beg you to leave them alone. What a powerful image. And so Jesus says, okay, fine, go over there. So the demons come out of the men and they enter the pigs. And the whole herd of plunged down into the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Amazing. I mean, and then now you would think that this would win Jesus' friends. But before we get to that point, this, the demonic, they know who the king is. And I think they have to be looking at us sometimes as sons and daughters of the king and saying, geez, you guys don't even really know who your father is. We're going to take advantage of you as long as we can. As long as you let us, we're going to wreck your lives because you really don't know who the king is. But even the demons know who Jesus is, and they tremble. They recognize that judgment was coming. They know their future. They know what the word says. They understand that he is the king and he is the judge. Will you follow Jesus in the judgment? He's coming. He's coming as judge. He's coming to destroy. He's coming to rule, and he's coming to reign. And I know that's a scary picture of Jesus to some, but if you're in, if you're covered by the blood, that is an awesome, powerful 
victorious picture. The missionary message is one of, it's a prophetic message. It's one of judgment is coming, saying, world, you got to turn. You got to turn or burn. I mean, that's kind of an old, like, you know, you know, fire and brimstone kind of saying, turn or burn. And now you may be like saying, well, that's not very nice. That's not very popular. Yeah, you're right. It's not going to win you a whole lot of friends. Listen to what happened with Jesus at the end of this passage right here. Then the herdsmen fled to the nearby town, town telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men. You would think, be like, Jesus just set these guys free. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Praise God. Let's go celebrate. These men have been set free. Nope. Wrong. Eh, that's not what happened. Verse 34, then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. Are you kidding me? You, you, you want to go back? You wish that you would have your pigs over the, the freedom of these two men? And now guess what? You can walk through that area of town again and you don't have to fear them. And you're mad that Jesus upended your, your, your prosperity a little bit? He, he kind of took your comfort and he kind of, you know, you love the swine more than you love the freedom God had to offer? Boy, America, that's, isn't that us? We want the comforts. And the, Lord, the moment the Lord starts giving us a little bit of freedom, it's like, ooh, I don't know. I like, my, I like my comforts. The missionary has a difficult assignment of going into all the world to tell, religious, the, tell religions and cultures, tribes and tongues that they are wrong. And that's not a cocky, arrogant thing to say. That's just you know the truth. Hey, guys, what you're doing is you're living in, in lies. You bought into lies. That's what you're telling the world. I have the truth. The truth will set people free. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we wrap up this service, but I want you to take away this. Will you, will you understand that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be hated? They hated Jesus too. And who is, who's greater in this room than Jesus? There's nobody. The disciple is not greater than the master. Jesus said this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. It's kind of like a duh moment, right? It's like, guys, you're not part of the world. What'd you think? They're gonna hate you. Do you remember what I told you? As a slave, a slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they listened to me, then they would have listened to you. Jesus is basically giving you the marching orders. He says, guys, in a world full of lies, they're gonna hate the truth. And you just need to get over it. You need to, you need to wrap your head around the, the idea that you're, you're carrying a prophetic message into a culture that hates the truth because they love the lies. And I'm gonna take it a step further. A culture that worships the lies will attack the truth. If you think that this gospel message is going to bring unity, it's not what Jesus said. The gospel brings great division. I know that sounds bad, church. I know you're probably like, man, this is not a feel-good message, Pastor Mike. I know you're right, it's not. But it's a powerful warrior message. And be ready to bring division. But it's a good division. It's the same type of division when a patient goes into the doctor's office and the, the doctor says, hey, we got bad news, you have cancer. Well, what does the doctor do? He says, but we're gonna divide that cancer from the healthy part of your body. We're not gonna, we're, we're gonna fight this thing all day long. 
and we're gonna remove the cancer so that your healthy body can survive. That's the same type of division that Jesus brings. He says, I'm not going to let you live in these lies because ultimately those lies will bring eternal destruction. The gospel brings division. Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, do you think I've come to bring peace to earth? No, I've come to divide people against each other. He's saying, I have come to separate out the destruction from the eternal life. Now, what's our role in this church? As the American church in this global community of believers, yeah, maybe God is not calling us to go to, to Saudi Arabia like Dick, Dick Brogdon, but he is calling us to do something. It's our job to spread the truth one way or the other. Some might go. There's somebody in this room right now that's feeling the tug to go somewhere far. That's to leave this culture and to go across the world and take the truth to the ends of the earth. There's somebody here that is feeling that tug in their heart and the Lord is saying, go. And that's your call. And you do that, he's gonna bless you, he's gonna be with you, he's gonna, you're gonna follow him to nowhere, but it's gonna be the most exciting, victorious thing you've ever done in your, in your life. And then there's others who are not being called to go to the ends of the earth, but you are being called to help send somebody like that. And here at Life Church, we believe that, that if we don't help send the truth, if we don't help send those, then how will people know what the, what the, what the Lord is, what the Lord has for them. Romans 10, 14 says this, but how can they call on him to, say, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We do a lot of things at Life Church. We have outreach, we have the food pantry, the care portal, the life centers. We have scholarships for mission trips and church camp and events for the next generation. We help stop the sex trafficking that's happening around the world, specifically in India through Project Rescue and Not Today, uh, uh, Frank Reich's organization here in the, in the States. We do missions. We have missionaries in Africa and Israel and in uh, in, in Cairo and Vanatutu. We have school orphanages in India and Spain and Nicaragua. And we have benevolence for people who are right here in our community that may just need that may just need the help just paying their electric bill. We have all of these things. And the way it works at Life Church is when we do our Kingdom Builders weekend every year, like this one, we say, okay, we want you to consider a faith promise. Faith promise is not a pledge. You're not saying, I commit to giving this. You're saying, I'm gonna trust that the Lord will increase what I can give this year into Kingdom Builders. Some people ask, they say, well, does my tithe go to Kingdom Builders? And, and so this is why we have this right here. Tithe is the first 10% that God calls us. You have 100% of what you have is the Lord's. All of, what you, all of what's in the earth is His in His alone. He calls us first and foremost to bring the first fruits into the storehouses, and that's the tithe, that's the 10%. And then all the other things, the outreach, the scholarships, the sex trafficking, the missions, the school orphanages, and the, the benevolence, all of that goes into Kingdom Builders right here. And we say, okay, this is going to be how we take above and beyond that 10% and we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's how, that's how we do it here at Life Church. We have a mission to spread the gospel here, near, and far. And church, if you have the eternal perspective, you will love what we're doing here at Life Church. If you have the eternal perspective when you say, okay, 100 years from now, where am I going to be? 
Do I want to look back and say, oh, I left some on the table. Oh, I didn't, I was a little nervous to get involved. I was a little, little nervous to speak truth. I was a little nervous to, to give, my, give my resources to help spread the gospel. Or are you going to say, man, I left it all in the field. I, everything I, God gave me, I used to spread the gospel. And what are those saints that are around you right now? What are they saying? Remember, we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Church, there is a, there, there's a huge cloud of witnesses around you right now. And they're saying, come on, Micah. Come on, Aaron. Come on, Stephanie, come on. You got this. We're rooting for you. Live fearless. Fear God in Him alone. Go out and take the gospel. Go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're so excited to celebrate the fruit that comes from your faithfulness when you get here with us in a few short years. With that eternal perspective, it changes everything.